comfortable. Hey, do this as you're grabbing your seat. Open to John chapter 1. Cool stuff, huh? Beautiful, beautiful God. John chapter 1. Hey, here's the reality, and we kind of even see it here on what was up on the screen in various aspects. We live in a time where there's a lot of confusion about God. There's just a lot of confusion about God. In fact, if you just say the word God... You know that in essence, in the back of people's minds, there's kind of this confusion thing going on. It's like there's this mysterious theme music that's going on in the background. In fact, I'll kind of put it this way. For us gray hairs, that theme music would be coming from the twilight zone. Remember it? Remember it? In fact, here's some of the intro. You are traveling to another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. Yeah, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop is what? The Twilight Zone. Absolutely. We can cut that one. Because for you non-gray-haired folks, maybe this is a little bit more familiar to you. Fringe. See, I brought this up before and no one knew what it was, but I love the show. The Fringe. I mean, at the beginning of the Fringe, it comes up and it talks about teleportation. And it talks about nanotechnology and thought extraction and cybernetic and brain porting and clonal transportation and artificial intelligence. And then the six-fingered hand. Oh, love that. Isn't that true? <laughs> Here's the reality. A lot of people think all of this feeling goes on when they think about God. So much mysteriousness, it seems, in people's minds going on. Let me on a little bit lighter note, not trying to be silly, but really trying to be serious. When people hear about God, when they think about God, it's kind of like it automatically defaults to this finding Waldo reality. I mean, in the screen, by the way, does someone have a Kleenex? If they do, I, I could take it here. Um, if, uh, it, with the finding Waldo deal that's going on, it's kind of like, uh, where's God think so much? Whoa, that's some serious Kleenex. <laughs> Nothing's worse than hearing someone sniffle while they're talking. But in the Finding Waldo reality, it's kind of, where's God? Where's God in there, if you will? Where's Waldo in there? And in our day and age, uh, just here's the question. Is God really hard to find? Is God really hard to know? Uh, I mean, questions like, uh, who is he? What's he like? Does he even exist? I mean, what is God up to, by the way? Is God hard to find? Is God hard to know? Well, let's start in John chapter 1. In fact, I want for us to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. We covered all of this last Sunday, but I just want to read through it here so that we kind of get together. Uh, let me begin John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, ha he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Does that not blow your mind? Yet the world did not know him. Conflict. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. We talked last week about how this is John's prologue. This is like the trailer of the movie that's about to be told. And today we're getting started, if you will, in the movie. Now, the story is about the word, the first 18 verses say. Uh, the word, as we talked about again last week, pulling out some of the key things, trying to understand the trailer words, the themes, the key words that John's laying on the table so we understand what's coming up. Uh, the word is eternal. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was creator. The word was life. Uh, the word is light. The word came, came in the flesh, dwelt among. The word has person to him. Uh, the gospel of John also goes into detail about concepts like receive and believe, uh, glory, the son, the father, grace, truth. And then like at the end of the trailer, when it comes up and it's like all this information is being tossed out there and then the last word on the screen starts from the middle coming out. It's like, Jesus Christ is the word. That's the trailer. We talked all about that last week. Listen, trailers should give you goosebumps. Last week, I played the trailer for Gladiator and I both services, I kid you not, I got goosebumps after seeing the trailer. I know I'm a surfacey dude. But I did. And that's what trailers are supposed to do. Draw us in, inform us, help us get to know what's going on. And that's what John is doing in the first 18 verses. Oh, by the way, just as you look at the screen and you see all this, I want to kind of go back to my question. In verses uh, uh, 1 through 18, do they give more of a where's Waldo feel about God? Where are you, God? I know you're in there, but there's so much clutter. There's so much confusion. There's so much different thoughts about who you are, what you're about. God, it's just so confusing. Is that what John verses 1 through 18 is saying? Or is John 1 through 18, John basically said, listen, all eyes are right here. This is the word. Be very, very clear. There's no question. This is what the word is about. And the word is who? Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Does our understanding of Jesus Christ line up with what the Bible clearly says he is? Well, he was just a nice guy. He was just a moral guy. He just set a normal pattern. He was a good guy, but was really wired about God and all this kind of stuff. Really? Is that what this is saying? Uh, not. Not. Yeah, but that's what I want to believe. Great, then you take God's seat and sit there and you decide what all truth is on the planet and you can be okay with that. And uh, really? 
Doug, you're being really hard right out of the gate here. No, I'm being really serious right out of the gate here because I want to be very clear. I'm so tired, we're so tired, of being able to hear about, there's all this confusion about what this says. It's so simple. The purpose is to make it all clear. That's what this whole gospel is all about. Verses 1 through 18, the word is revealed by the human author. John's just saying, I'm telling you what's coming. And the word is revealed. Secondly, let's get started in our text, 19 through 34. The word word is revealed by the forerunner, by the forerunner. Let's pick up verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. It's interesting. It actually has twice in the original language. It does say that he confessed. Yep, he confessed. Just so you know, he really spoke true. He confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the what? From the Pharisees, verse 25, they ask him, uh, these priests and Levites sent by the Pharisees, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Look at verse 19. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are these guys? Who are these guys who sent them? Well, verse 24, as we saw, it was the Pharisees who sent them. Let me just give you a little description of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were separatists who grew up out of a pious group that revolted during the cruel reign of Antiochus Epiphanes when he was in these heathenizing kind of a structure that was going on in his days and setting policies. And the Pharisees grew out of that and, and came to uh, meticulously observe the minute detail of the Old Testament law. I commend them for wanting to be very serious about the Old Testament law, but what just like things end up growing into, kind of like government, it ends up growing into this process where there are laws made to be able to follow the laws. And the fact of the matter is for the Pharisees, at this point in time, when Christ is on the earth, it's not so much about God's laws, it's actually about their laws, supposedly drawing you to God's laws, which really weren't doing that case, it was drawing you to yourself. Because I can be a great legalist, I can be a great checklist person. Now that was the Pharisees. Then you can see there the priests and the Levites were the ones who were sent, they're the envoy. Uh, They were virtually all Sadducees. They were there, uh, mainly their job was caring about the temple and the processes in the temple. They were very keen to the eye of spiritual stuff that was going on in the temple practices. They were the right ones to send to John because this is right down their alley. I also want to just note this. The Sanhedrin, which is kind of like a governing Supreme Court, were most likely behind this as well. Um, I'll just say, I think they were clearly behind this as well. Uh, And by the way, don't get uh, uh, like they're all mad about this yet. I'll talk about that in just a second. The Sanhedrin was comprised of 70 members. 
they were led by the high priest. The high priest's family led the Sanhedrin. Therefore, they had real interest in spiritual things because they came from kind of a priestly line of interests, what was going on. And uh, they were involved in the purification processes of what was taking place. Now, why do I say all these, why do I bring all these big names of people onto the table? Two reasons. One is just to start prepping you and understanding who some of these people are. We'll fill in more as we go along. Because believe me, we are going to get very intimate with these folks. Okay, and so the words are going to be coming along and we'll, we'll be learning more and more together about them as we go. But here they are on the scene, and I also want for us to kind of understand what I think is taking place here in this process is these guys are not mad right now. In fact, I think they're very interested. Let's take a look at the questions. Verse 19, these guys come and they go, who are you? I'll say this, don't assume they're angry. Don't, if you know the rest of the story, don't assume they're trying to put them in a corner. Don't assume that yet. That was the right question to be asking. John, who are you? Right question. John's answer, I'm not the Christ. That's interesting. Because either there was a few more words or things stated about their question where they were implying that they were asking about the concept of Christ or John knew exactly what they were thinking and John replied back knowing that they were wondering, was he the Christ? And he says what? Was he? No, he says no, that he wasn't. Uh, Take this as well. Put this into the equation as well. First century Palestinian culture was just on fire, code red, 10 out of 10, anticipating, looking for the coming of the Old Testament eschatological figures, the Old Testament coming figures. It was ripe. This was a time when the leadership was looking for this. The people were looking for this. It wasn't like out of the blue. Everybody at the time is anticipating these Old Testament eschatological coming figures coming and they're looking and they're thinking, could it be now? Could it be now? Could it be now? And so here they come to John and they ask, who are you? Uh, Notice the movement of the questions. The next question is that they ask, who are you? What? Are you who? Elijah. Uh, This is going down the pecking order. Uh, And what does John say? No. Who's the next one? The prophet, are you the prophet? John's answer is no. Uh, The Christ, Elijah, and the prophet. What an interesting series of items to ask. Because if you're looking for the Messiah, if you're looking for the the Christ, uh, that's the guy you really want to have come first. I'm like right now, I'm like Jesus, come back today would be great. Okay, I'm fine with that. And that's where they were at. Hey, we want to see the Christ. We want the Messiah to be able to come. And so it's not him. So they go to the next thing, Elijah. Why Elijah? John looked like Elijah and John talked like Elijah. We don't get into the details, but his bottom line is he looked like him. He wore clothes like him, eating locusts like him, and he talked like him. Here was John's message. Repent. Uh, What was Elijah's message? Repent. They were so much alike and it fit. Plus, Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And many were basically going, is John him? I think they were actually interested, hoping that this might be Elijah coming back again. And then it's like, nope, not at that. So they go to the prophet. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. Moses says that the Lord will, quote, raise up for you a prophet like me among you. 
And it's at this time that many of them thought that this prophet that's like Moses was going to be coming at the time along with the Messiah. And you can just see, these guys are ripe for this. They are ready for it. They are on their toes wanting to be able to find out, is this, is this the one? So they get to verse 22, look, <laughs> they're striking out. So who are you? Because we need to give an answer. John's answer, 23, uh, I am the voice. That's so cool. Because in the first 18 verses, we had the word. Uh, these verses, we have the voice. It's like this noun being used as a title. It's the rock. It's the fridge. But here we got the word and we got the voice. The voice about the word. That's cool. I am the voice. He's using this text out of Isaiah 40 verse 3 and quoting this text about himself in this. Isaiah, in essence, in the context, Isaiah at the time is calling for this metaphorical improvement in the road system. In essence, he's kind of saying this, uh, there needs to be a leveling of the hills and the valleys, a straightening of the curves of the desert in order to accommodate the return of the exiled Israelites back into Jerusalem. That's what Isaiah is calling for. Here, John, the forerunner, is using it, basically saying this. I think this is so cool. I am here to flatten the hills, to widen the road, to make it very easy, clean, and clear for the Lord to come to his people. Hey, you see in the Old Testament, as the exiles coming back here, this is way top that, baby. This is about God coming to his people. Does God make himself hard to find? Just in this statement alone, God is about making himself well known. He didn't have to bring a forerunner. Why would he bring a voice? So that he would be even more understood on what's going on. God's so cool. He's trying to make this also very clear. No, not the where's Waldo reality. Uh, verse 25, then why are you baptizing? That was a great question. Uh, what authorized John's baptism? Uh, we need, don't understand a lot of the culture. Uh, back in the day, non-Jews were baptized, uh, immersed uh, to, uh, in their conversion to Judaism. Non-Jews. Also, there were some sects of the day that what they were doing was that they were actually doing daily immersion baptism. And it was just kind of, I don't know where, where they got that from, but that's what they were practicing, and that was known in the day. Now, here's the big one. Baptism in that day was self-baptism. And here now, all of a sudden, there is a guy that is coming and is baptizing people. We're so used to seeing that that we lose the context of what's taking place. Someone else is now moving them into this thing. There's an authority that's placed there. Why are you doing this? Who are you that you would be doing this? These guys' minds are blown out of the water. Because John is coming in like nobody else that they've ever seen before. And they're just trying to understand who he is. Notice verse 27. Well, a quick note. You know when he says, uh, there's one who's coming whose sandals I'm not worthy unto, to untie? That comment there back in the day, uh, a disciple or a student 
was expected to do everything of their teacher or of their rabbi that a slave would do for their master except untie their shoes. They were to do anything, everything of a slave except untie their teacher's shoes. How cool is this? John is really magnifying the one who's about to come. Listen, I'm telling you, the guys, you ask me who I am, I just want for you to know. I am so low, even though if you're under his breath, I think it's so, though you are so impressed with what's going on and thinking that I might be the Christ and thinking that I might be Elijah and thinking that I might be the prophet, I just want for you to understand. There is one who is coming that me, you thinking that I could be that high, there is one who is coming that I'm not even worthy to untie the shoe. And it's almost like in their culture, they're like, (gasps) untie their shoes. That's like the worst thing possible. And John's just letting him know, I'm telling you, there's one that is coming that you cannot even grasp the magnitude if you think, John is saying, if you think I'm the guy. So cool. Verse 29. The next day, he, John the forerunner, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, This is he of whom I said... After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend. By the way, this is all after John has baptized Jesus Christ. This is after it. How long? Don't quite know. But it's after that. It's after the 40 days in the wilderness. And John is telling what happened. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have uh, uh, borne witness that this is the son of God. Uh, do know this. John was not all by himself saying this. There were some other people around who were around him. We'll find out at least a couple here in just a second. But I want to make a note here. One, John says, I didn't know him. Well, it's not saying John had no idea who he was because as a matter of fact, uh, Mary met Elizabeth. Elizabeth knew what was going on with Mary. John was born about, say, six months before Jesus was born. They were in essence cousins. They knew each other. What John is talking about here is I did not know that he was the lamb. That'd be a fun conversation sometime just to have together around the table. I also want to note this, much to consider about this. Let me put it this way, application. Let God take care of the details and the results. Do what you're asked to do by the Lord. And let God take care of the details. In other words, here is John going along in life and he's preaching, he's baptizing, he's doing the things that he's called to do, preparing the way. And he, in essence, has been leaving it all up to the Lord. And it's like, you know what? All of a sudden, in God's timing, he showed me. And I just want to say, out of this, one of the things I thought this week is I'm just mulling through this passage. If, if you're the kind of person where if, if, the, if I don't know the process or the whys or the whats or the results, I'm not going to do it. 
If, if I can't have all of my questions answered, I'm not saying don't ask questions. I'm not saying don't put out schedules. I'm just saying if you want to be the kind of person or if you are the kind of person where I have to have all the answers or the thinking that I, I want to know, I deserve to know, I need to know. Listen, here's the fact. You need to know what God tells you to do and to be and do it and me too. Leave the rest up to him. But God, I'm not getting the results that I... Leave it up to him. I'm so impressed by John's just faithfulness. And then he comes along at this point in time where it's just like, boom, it all comes together. It may never all come together. Our job is called to be people who are faithfully living it out. Let's be that. By the way, here, just before we go on to the next section, are you getting the sense here that not only in verses 1 through 18, but 19 uh, through 34, that, that God is trying to make himself known or God is trying to hide himself? This is clearly God's trying to make himself known. God's trying to lay everything out on the table, so much so that John welcomes the questions. Do you think I am? Nope, not. Nope, not. Nope, not. Well, who are you? I'd love to tell you. Very cool stuff going on here. Let's pick up verse 35. The next day, which day? And by the way, look up at verse 29. It says the what? The next day. This is the next day. This is the day after the day before. <laughs> okay, you with me? What happened the day before? The day before, John said, behold, there's the Lamb of God. That's what took place the day before. Now look what happens. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. (laughs) I just, how far away was was he when he said this? I I mean, why are they crossing paths and not like hanging out? Okay, I just said, don't get caught up in all the questioning, just live it out. But I want to tell you, this is a pretty cool thing that here these guys are crossing paths and John one more time. And look what happens here, verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Uh, I do not think this is a Frankenstein elevating moment where all of a sudden Jesus walks by and John goes, there's the lamb. And they go, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I'm going. Someone stop me. And they're just going along, which oftentimes people think is what took place. Jesus just walked by and said, follow me, and you follow me. And everybody's just like, "Ah." that's not what happened here. I think if you look, I'm kind of reading between the lines, but I think it's very clear in what John, the author, is trying to understand, is because this is he's one of the two, by the way, in this, is that he's telling is that the day before, John the forerunner said, there's the lamb. Listen, if you are one of the close followers of John the forerunner, who's been all the time talking about the one to come, and you're really into this stuff, and then he says, that's the one. Do you not think that during dinner and that night and all night, you're thinking about, are you serious? That's the Messiah? Dude. And then the next day, he goes, guys, behold the lamb of God. And then these two follow him. This wasn't a uh, thing. This is like, John, I want to be around you. Are you the Messiah? Oh, my word. Listen, Christianity is for thinking people. Thinking people. Uh, Processing through. If this is the Messiah, everything behind the Messiah of the Old Testament. Oh, so neat. So neat. So look what happens. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following. 
and said to them, Who are you, what are you seeking? What a great question. We're going to see as we go through this, Jesus is a master at asking questions. Why ask questions? Because it draws out the heart. He doesn't even ask, what do you want? He's asking, what are you seeking? You see the incredible wisdom in that question? What are you looking for? And here these seekers are just really wanting to hang with them. Look at this. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? By the way, what a great response. It wasn't just a, hey, I got one question. I got three questions. It was, it was a, can we hang with you? Can we just stay with you for a little bit? And he said to them, look at this, friends. Underline this. Circle this. Star this. By the way, who is Jesus? The word in the beginning with God was God. The creator of all things. And what does he say? Don't bug me. No, come and see. Hey, do you want to know what Jesus is all about? This is what he said. Come and see. Please come and see. I invite you. I welcome that. Come hang with me. Come place yourself by me, and I would love to dialogue with you. I love that. He said to them, come and see. So they came and what? And saw. (laughs) Love that. So they came and they saw. They saw where he was staying Uh, That tells you a lot about a person. They stayed with him that day, all day, for it was about the 10th hour. I'm not going to go into the time of it all. It's just they spent a good amount of time with him. I'm like, I so want to know what they said. I so want to know what they asked. I so want to know what they were looking for. But we just know this, and I love the way the Bible is. It just is this simple. It just gets to the point. They just went and they placed themselves around Christ. Are you placing yourself around Christ? Oh, and by the way, are you placing yourself around other people who want to place themselves around Christ? Not by words, by reality. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John, uh, the forerunner, speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. We, we are so like, don't get it. I don't mean, I'm not being critical of you. I'm just saying, oh, we just so don't get it. When that statement was made, <laughs> oh my, the entire Old Testament is wrapped up right there. We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. Oh, by the way, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. And I, if I remember right, the word was Jesus and the word created all things. So the word created, the Jesus created Peter, right? Who are you? Duh, he knows. He's just going through this process of drawing people. Now look at this. You shall be called Cephas. I have never had ever in my entire life anyone ever come over to the house, go out to eat and sit down and go, uh, oh, so you're Doug. By the way, Doug, I now like to change your name to Bob. <laughs> What's your response? Who are you? Right? This is as we see it first interaction. So you're Cephas, so you're Peter. I just want to tell you something. You got a new name, my friend. Who can do that? 
Who can do that? And by the way, you don't see Cephas or you don't see Peter going, shut up. And walking away. Verse 43, the next day, which day? The next day, there's a lot of next days going on here. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Don't run by that. Get this, that word found is also, I believe, used in verse 45. We've already seen some uh, right before it in verse, uh, what is it, 41, something like that, where, where, we're find, where we find that Andrew goes and finds Simon or Cephas, Peter, what does that mean? He goes looking for him. Peter, where are you? Peter, Peter. Hey, mom, where's Peter? Dad, where's Peter? That's finding. The exact same form of the word is used here. Jesus went and found Philip. That's cool. Listen, John said earlier, flatten the roads, widen them. Don't make it a curvy path. Make it a straight path. None of those dorky bumps that irritate all of us with our car. None of that. Make it straight, make it flat, make it quick. And here Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming after you and I found you. How cool is that? The creator came after the individual. We are seeing a God who is revealing himself and coming after people because he cares about people. Not only coming after people, but being open to people. Come and ask. Let's have some pizza together. Love it. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. The guts. And yet what a call. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. uh, Nathanael said to him, can anything good out of Nazareth? Okay, we won't even go there very long because hold on, look at this just a minute. Philip said to him, well, come and see. Uh, look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Was there a little bit of, hey, he's from Kentucky going on there? Uh, thing or whatever. When we were in Minnesota, uh, it was always like South Dakota or Iowa. So they're from, he's from Iowa, huh? What good comes out of Iowa? And I'm sure they were saying that about Minnesota. And it's going on here. But understand this. Uh, he was not a dirtbag. This was a guy who was of no deceit. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Uh, Folks, if you were to go back through this text and circle every time you see see or saw or looked, there's a whole lot of looking, a whole lot of seeing, a whole lot of sawing going on in this passage. I saw you, verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these, my friend. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Get ready because the train is about to come out of the station. And if you think your mind is blown, my friend, get ready because here comes the atomic bombs. And God is just telling him what's going to come. I began today with noting that there's so much confusion. It's like twilight zone, fringe-like stuff, mysteriousness around the topic of God. Has God made himself hard to find? And if I were to say, no, God has not made himself hard to find, what's my proof? I'd say John chapter 1 is one of them. 
Because we see in the first 18 verses, we see the author basically saying, this is the one. Then we see in the following verses, uh, 1934, John the forerunner saying, I'm the voice of the one, and behold, that's the one. And then verse 41, Andrew said, we have found him. And then Philip says, we have found him. Then Nathaniel says, you are the one. God is all about revealing himself and people are coming to understand. That's the one, that's the one, that's the one, that's the one. God reveals himself. Is that how you view God? Lastly, really to wrap it up, I could so enjoy this. In fact, I was going to originally make this part here. I'm going to say the entire sermon. But I want to leave it for you to think about. I don't know if you noticed it, but in the text, we're going to see the names. Add to this, the word is revealed by the names. By the names. It's, It's names that are given to Jesus. Only one of them is Jesus about himself. Uh, let's bring up the next slide. Remember the highlighting words from last Sunday? They just helped to kind of bring out of the text. That's kind of what I was trying to do it, bring out of the text key words. Now let's do this. Now let's kind of go the same way with the names from the, the text for today. Look at the names. Uh, now, some of these names are repeated. I, I don't think I repeated them. But look at the names. Look at them. The word is the Lord. The word is the Christ, Old Testament there. The word is the lamb. Oh my word, could I spend time with that one? By the way, many times the word lamb is referred to Christ and it's oftentimes referring to a specific, whether it's kind of the sacrificial part of the lamb or whether it's the future coming lamb. It's interesting, uh, so so much discussion. What is uh, being talked about here? And I think pretty much all of the commentators default to this. He's probably talking about all of them wrapped together. Jesus Christ is the lamb. On top of that, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the son of God. We're going to be talking more about that term as it comes along. He's the king of Israel. Just that alone. If you're an Israelite at the day, you're looking for a new king at the time. And he's the son of man. That's the only term that Jesus uses of himself. Now let's bring up the next slide, combining all of the terms from last Sunday together to try and do this. Here's part of my point. I don't know if this makes sense or not, but the word is Jesus Christ, and all of these things are telling in one chapter what Jesus Christ is all about. Boy, it's so hard to know what he's all about. Man, it's confusing. I mean, did you really know? Here's the reality. He either was this or he was not. That's it. Because if he was not this, friends, pack up, let's go home, all of us. Larry Woods is paying for every one of us to go to the Colts game. All in favor? Oh, we don't do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) I want to tell you, it's a beautiful chapter one. All the names and all the words and all the themes of who the Messiah is, is right in front of us. Now, here's my next question. Is this who you see? Or have we dumbed Jesus down? This week as I've contemplated this, I thought, is this who I see? Because I think there are times and moments and days where I would respond differently if I really believed all of this at the moment. There's no twilight zone thing going on with God. 
There's no fringe thing going on with God. There's no where's Waldo thing going on. God has revealed himself with clarity and in a big way. Isn't that cool? Hey, let's bring up our where's Waldo picture. So where's Waldo? I want for you to know this. See, some are pointing over here, some are pointing over here. You don't know. No, <laughs> here's Here's the reality in it. Many people really do look at Christ, look at the Lord like this. You are so confusing, so frustrating. You're just nearly impossible to find. And if I can, in this kind of goofy but very serious way of this illustration, say this. John chapter 1 is not about this slide. It's about this next slide. That's what John is doing. Now, if you were to have a mindset of the other slide, don't go back, but if you were to have the mindset of the other slide, God is an confusing being. John is just trying to say, I want for you to know, he's right there. The word is all about revealing the Lord. The word is all about revealing the word. It's right there. Oh, I I just pray that all of us have this increased view of who God is. Well, let's pray. I just want to ask kind of a quiet time here, actually, before we pray. Let me just kind of take a moment here to ponder. Some say that uh, if God loved me, he would show himself. I just, if that's you... I'm so glad you're here because I hope you see out of this that God does love you and he has shown himself. He has nothing to hide. He's not holding anything back. He's fully available. And all of chapter one is helping us to see that. And by the way, did you happen to observe that nowhere did Jesus force himself on anybody? nowhere always making himself available always available 24 7 doors open the question is are you placing yourself by him and seeing as many as received him to them he gave the right And this may be the kind of thing where you don't know Christ as your Savior at all. If you've got questions on that, come and ask. And yet at the same time, keep coming back because we're just going to keep on going in this series and allow Christ to be revealed more and more. Follower of Christ, maybe you've made a decision for Christ, but I want to remind you that the come and see never ends. You are as close to the Lord as you want to be. So much talk is that it's God's problem and it's God's fault that there's distance. No, that's not right. He's near. He's available. It's our responsibility to place ourselves next to Him. Are you? 
are you placing yourself next to the people of God who want to place themselves next to the word of God? Are you pursuing the revealed Savior? Oh God, I pray that we would pursue you with an increased passion more and more. Help us to get it. And we're not going to place ourselves next to you if we have a small view of you. So, God, I pray that you would increase our view of you so that we would want to yearn to be by you. You've given us everything we need to be able to do it, including yourself available. May we take advantage of it. You are the Messiah. May we live like it. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.